Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We ask you to fill us afresh with your Spirit, that you'll empower us, equip us for your service. I pray, Father, that you help us to be sensitive to you and to what you desire to speak into our lives. And so uh, we do rely on you for help in applying your word to our lives. So, Father God, we ask that you will be glorified today. And I pray for the gift of teaching that you help me, Father, to rightly divide your word of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we are in Genesis chapter 3. We're looking at verses 1 through 9. And the title of the study is, Where Are You? Where Are You? And so just as a reminder, I just want to let you know that Genesis is divided into two sections. If you can remember four and four, um, that'll go a long way. So remember four and four when you're talking about the book of Genesis and how it's divided. And so the first group of four are four major events. Uh, The creation is number one. The fall is number two. The flood is number three. And the dispersion, uh, and that's the dispersion of the people at the Tower of Babel. That's number four. So those are the four major events. And once again, you'll find those in chapters 1 through 11. And then the second set of of four includes four major people that are covered in the book of Genesis. And those four major people are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And so if you can remember four and four, that'll help you, um, you know, with a good start on the book of Genesis. Uh, but tonight, of course, we're, since we're in chapter three, we are on the second major event in the book of Genesis, and that is the fall. And so that's what we're going to discuss tonight, and it's the fall of Adam and Eve, the fall of mankind. And so we're going to look at verse 1 in Genesis 3. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And so this shining one, this serpent, was more crafty, skilled in deceit than any beast, any wild animal, any of the animals that God created. And so when we look at that question that he posed, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? just wanted to share with you that the word you is plural in verses 1 through 5. So you... That word is plural in verses 1 through 5. Now, this serpent, of course, is a creature that God had created. And before the curse, um, you can tell that the serpent was more, was, it more likely looked different than the snakes or the serpents that we see today. And what's funny is that Eve was not shocked by this talking serpent and possibly The reason is because maybe she wasn't aware of what the different animals could or could not do. And so it wasn't strange to her as this serpent spoke with her. 
And, and serpent, by the way, can also uh, be referred to as the shining one. And so we'll get to that later. But, but she was not shocked by this serpent. Now, we are sure that this serpent was none other than Satan, the devil, as a disguise. Now, it's possible that, that Satan had entered the body of this serpent. In other scriptures, the serpent is even identified as Satan. For example, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, and also in Revelation chapter 20, verse 2. But Satan is referred to by many names and different titles and descriptions. For example, one, one name we'll look at is Lucifer. And Lucifer means day star, literally, or light bearer. Or it could be translated as morning star or, and we, like I said, we'll come back to this, it could be referred to as shining one. The name Satan, by the way, means adversary. Because that's another name we see. We see Satan means adversary. The word devil means slanderer. So he's an adversary. He's a slanderer. He is also called the accuser of our brethren, as you see in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Uh, The scriptures also refer to him as the God of this age. He's also referred to as the ruler of this world. And of course, he's referred to uh, by Jesus as a liar and the father of it. In other words, he is the originator of the lie. And so the book of Genesis showing us the beginning. We see the beginning of all things. We see the beginning of the lie here in Genesis chapter 3. Another uh, reference to Satan in the New Testament is the prince of the power of the air. And he's also known as the evil one. So he's known by many different names and given different titles and descriptions. And so this is who we are dealing with, this serpent. Satan. And so some may wonder that, okay, well, if God created everything good, then why is there a devil? Or how did Satan get to this point? And so with that question being asked, I'd like for all of us to turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. And we're going to look at verses 11 through 19. So again, it's Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 through 19. And so here, now the the Lord is actually addressing both the arrogant human ruler of Tyre and at the same time, the spiritual influencer and power behind that throne in Tyre. And so here you have what you would call a double reference to the physical ruler, the literal ruler, human ruler, and also to the spiritual ruler, Satan. And so in verse 11 of Ezekiel 28, it says, Moreover, the word um, of the Lord came to me, son of man. I'm in verse 12 now. Take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. And as you keep reading, you're starting to see, okay, he's speaking to more than this human ruler. Because it goes on to say that you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold, 
the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. And so timbrels can also, uh, you know, be translated as, as settings and, and pipes could also be translated as grooves or, or sockets. Um, and so, in other words, the workmanship um, of your settings and sockets or whatever it may be was prepared for you on the day you were created. And look at this. It says in verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sin. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. And so you get a little picture there of Satan before the fall or of Lucifer before he became Satan or the adversary. And so with that, let's, let's look at Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 17. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 17. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Yet, verse 15, you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of its prisoners? So here in Isaiah 14, again, the Lord is addressing both the human ruler as well as the power behind that throne. And so in Isaiah 14, he's addressing the, the, the literal king, the human king of Babylon, while also addressing the spiritual king, that is Satan of Babylon, the spiritual king of Babylon. And so he influences uh, both of these kings that we read about, the, the, the ruler in Tyre and the ruler here in Babylon. And so God is addressing them both as we see a double reference. And so based on these scriptures we just covered, originally we can see Lucifer was perfect when he was created. So no, God did not create evil. God did not create sin. Lucifer was perfect when God created Lucifer. He was beautiful, the scriptures tell us. He was also full of wisdom. The scriptures tell us uh, that he was in Eden, and Eden means 
pleasure, by the way, and he was covered in precious stones. And what's interesting is when you look at a lot of these stones that are mentioned that he was covered in, you can also see the breastplate of the high priest in the Old Testament. You see that a lot of these stones actually match. Uh, But it appears that Lucifer had an exalted position in the garden of God. In fact, he was given the position of the anointed cherub that covers or who covers. And a cherub, by the way, is an angelic being who covered the throne of God. So if you can remember the description or the instructions that God gave for the Ark of the Covenant to be built, and if you remember the lid, that covering, uh, that mercy seat. Remember, there were two, um, there were two cherubim both facing each other and their, and their wings are stretching out towards each other. And, and so he was one of the anointed cherub who covered. And, and it means that he has served near the presence of God. There was a closeness that he had with the most high God, which also means that he held either the highest rank or a high rank amongst the other angelic beings. Some would even suggest that he had a major role with the music or worship in heaven. But, but there was a culprit that caused his downfall, that caused him to be kicked out of heaven to where it's not his permanent dwelling place anymore. And that culprit is pride. And if you remember in the scriptures that we just read, I believe it's in Isaiah 14, you can see all of those I will statements. I will ascend to heaven. I will, I will, I will, I will, demonstrating Lucifer's pride that led, like I said, to his fall from heaven. You see, his own beauty got the best of him. He wanted to be exalted. He wanted to be like the most high God. In fact, he wanted to be God. Not only that, but Revelation 12 and 4, chapter 12, verse 4, tells us that he also persuaded one third of God's angels to go with him, to rebel with him. But once again, it wasn't God who created the evil, who created sin. Lucifer used his own free will to get to this point. And whatever decision those angels made, these fallen angels made, you know, their, their consequence, their destiny, so to speak, is, is locked in. And so it is, it is written where they're going to spend eternity. And we don't know, of course, exactly the time of Satan's fall to, to the point where he can use this serpent to, to deceive Eve, the first woman ever created. But he fell sometime after the creation and prior to tempting Eve in the Garden of Eden. So that's all we can really know for sure. But, but yet and still, although heaven is not his permanent dwelling place, speaking of Satan or the devil, yet he still has some type of access to heaven because the scripture tells us in Revelation uh, 12, verse 10, that he accuses the brethren before the Lord day and night. You could also see in Job that when the sons of God came together, speaking of the angelic beings, that Satan also appeared. 
And so somehow, some way he has some type of access to heaven, but it's not his permanent dwelling place. But eventually, again, you'll find this in Revelation 12. He, he won't have any more access to heaven and he'll only be limited to the earth. And I believe that that happens at about the midpoint of the tribulation period. And so you see things turn up with the Antichrist and he really goes after uh, the, the Jewish people or at that time in the second half of the tribulation period. He goes after them hard. And I believe that, that the Satan is because he's now empowering this Antichrist now at this point. And so you can wait on Pastor Jim to get deeper into that study in Revelation. But that, that's as far as I want to go. For the sake of time. Um, and, and so it's very interesting that he still is able to accuse the brethren before the throne of God day and night. But, but the, the good news is that we have somebody who stands in our place as a representative. And that is none other than Jesus Christ who stands in our place as an advocate. He stands as our representative. And so none of those accusations will succeed because our, our advocate has covered us in his blood. He died in our place. And if we align ourselves with Jesus, when God the Father looks upon us, he's looking at us through the lens of his son. And so when he looks at us, he looks at us as if we've never sinned. He sees us as holy. He sees us as righteous. And that, by the way, is our position that we have in Christ. And so I just love it that as we read through uh, these letters in the New Testament, you see all of these blessings, especially in Ephesians. You see all these blessings that we have either in Christ or through Christ. He is our advocate standing in our place. Doesn't matter what the accuser of the brethren says about us. He may be right, but those sins have been paid for. He may be right, but those sins have been covered. We are forgiven. But, but in this very first verse, you can also notice one of Satan's tactics. And one of his tactics is questioning the word of God. He questioned the word of God here when he asked the question, has God indeed said? Questioning the word of God. That's tactic number one that I want to share with you tonight. And we even see this today. The same tactic that the enemy uses as, as people are influenced by the enemy. And they begin to question the various things about the Bible. They, be, they begin to question whether or not uh, the, the Bible-believing uh, Christians have it right when it comes to sex. And, and, and sex only uh, being appropriate within the circle or realm of a marriage between one man and one woman. Do, do you Christians have it right? Or some may even question whether or not we have it right about marriage. And, and by the way, it's not about us being right. It's, it's about the word of God being right. And the Bible is right because it came from God. And so I'd rather believe God than man. I'd rather believe God than my own opinions or intuitions because God knows what's best for us. He also knows what can destroy us. And unfortunately, we see many people being destroyed as we speak. In verses 2 and 3 in Genesis 3, it says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst or middle of the garden, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So when we compare what God commanded Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we, we see that Eve did not share exactly what God had commanded Adam. Now, now maybe this is on Adam. May, maybe Adam passed down the commandment in this way, the commandment that he received in this way. Or, or it could be that maybe she was just summarizing the commandment. But at any rate, we can see as we compare what she said with Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, that, that she left off the word freely when it says you may freely eat. And she left off the word surely where it says in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So in one case, in regard to using the word freely, like you may freely eat, you see the, the, the certainty of what they could do is de-emphasize. And then in the other case where the word surely is left out in regard to the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. You see that the severity of the consequence is weakened. And this could happen to us as well as we leave out certain parts of the scriptures, the parts that that, that we don't like or that we don't think will be palatable to the people that we're sharing the word of God with may leave out certain parts. And so some people may miss out on the freedoms that they have in Christ. And at the same time, some people, because we want to hold back a little bit and not share exactly what the word of God says for whatever reason, some people may miss out on the severity of certain things like sin. But then not only were certain things left out, but in verse three in Genesis chapter three, Uh, Some words were added. She added, nor shall you touch it. And so in this case, you see that further restrictions were added that were not there in the first place. And if we were to do this today, it would cause us to fall into something called legalism. Where we we create traditions that come from men. And and Jesus spoke against that. He spoke in the sense that that there were some people who had elevated the tradition of men to the point where it caused people to not obey the word of God. And so we must be careful of that. And in verse four, it says, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And so here we see tactic number two that Satan uses in order to tempt Eve. And this tactic number two is lying. And so here, Satan bluntly says the opposite of what God said. God said, you'll surely die. He said, you will not surely die. And there are so many people who have bought, unfortunately, into Satan's lies. It could be a lie about the Bible. Oh, that was just written by man. Or, or Jesus, or that he's not the only way to salvation. Some people have bought into those lies. And unfortunately, there, there's even some people who still say today, despite all the evidence that, oh, Jesus never really existed. Some people bought into the lies of Satan in regard to sin. There's no such thing as sin. Just do what you will. 
just like he wanted to do, right? I will, I will, I will, as we saw in Isaiah 14. Just, just do what you will. Thou will be done, what Satan says. You know, some people have bought into Satan lies as well in regard to hell. Even have some preachers scared to talk about hell. Jesus talked about it. Why? Because it's real. But here's an example of somebody who bought into the lie and then propagated that lie. So this is Madeline Murray O'Hare. And, and this person was widely known as the woman who ended prayer in American public schools in the early 1960s. And this is what she says. She says, there is no God. She bought into the lie. There is, there's no heaven. There's no hell. There are no angels. When you die, you go to the ground. The worms eat you. Bought into the lie. But unfortunately, I wasn't even shocked by this because I've heard this Plenty of times, unfortunately. But instead, what we should do is check the word of God. What does God say about it? I don't care what fallible man has to say about it. What does God has to say about it? Because our God doesn't change. Our God is faithful. Our God knows the end from the beginning. What does he say about it? So get in the habit of checking with God via the Bible. When you hear someone says, say something in verse five, it says, for God knows that in the day, and this is Satan still speaking, the serpent still speaking. God knows that in the day you eat of it. That is you eat this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Your eyes will be open. Or in other words, you will have greater awareness And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so you see Satan's tactic number three, and that is incorporating some truth. Incorporating some truth. He's trying to really uh, reel, reel her in. And so you hear people also using this tactic of the enemy in various ways. Some people may say God is love and God is love. There is some truth. But, but what some people mean by that is that since God is love and I have this love for you, which is really lust, and then we can have sex before marriage. Or some people may incorporate some truth. Oh, God says we are not to judge. Thou shall not judge which they misinterpret that anyway, but they will use that. And, and yes, it has some truth to that. But what they mean by that is, leave me alone in my sin. That's what they really mean by that. But, but Jesus says to judge righteous judgment. If they were to keep reading. Matter of fact, if they were to keep reading in that same chapter in Matthew chapter 7, where they, where they get that, they would see that we have to use some type of judgment to, to look at the fruit of false teachers. They would also see that you have to use some type of judgment to discern whether or not we're casting our pearl before swine. He says that in Matthew 7, right after it says, thou shalt not judge. So they, they misinterpret that. But so there's some truth to that. But. Again, look beneath the surface. 
leave me alone in my sin is what they really mean. And so they're using this tactic of Satan, incorporating some truth in order to do what they want to do, in order to get what they want to get. Now, it is true that they would know both good and evil like God knows. But what the devil failed to tell them is that God never sinned. Even though he knows about good and evil, God never sinned, and he does not struggle with sin, nor does God have a sin nature. Also, what the devil failed to tell them is that doing your own will and how doing your own will will put you at odds with God. Satan knows that by experience. It put him at odds with God to where he got kicked out of heaven. It's not his permanent dwelling place as we shared earlier. But the thing is when, and you'll see it as, as Eve and Adam do their own will, as they give in to this temptation, it will result in mankind struggling with sin and struggling with our sin nature. And that's going to happen for all of our lives. Even as believers, as Holy Spirit indwelt people, there is a sin nature. And, and that doesn't go away until we receive our glorified bodies. And so right now, as believers, if you repent it and put your trust in Jesus for salvation, you are saved. You're justified, in other words. And then you are being saved, which is the process of sanctification. You're becoming more like Jesus and less like the old you as you continue to grow in the word of God. But then the final stage of salvation, you will be saved. And that's glorification where you won't have a sin nature anymore. But as of now, there's that. There's that flesh. And so we must continue in the word of God. We, not, we must continue to feed upon the word of God, just like we need our physical food. See, another thing you, you see here is that misery loves company of Satanists. And he doesn't have his spot anymore. He doesn't have his position anymore. He fell from the high position that he once had. Fell from heaven. But he wants people to share what he shares. Because remember, he wanted to be like the most high, wanted to be God, receive all the adulation that God receives, wants to be worship. And he wanted them to be the same way. And so you see that in verse five and you will be like God. He see God is holding back from you. He doesn't want you to be a God. He doesn't want you to know uh, Good and evil. And there's many people today, you feel that God is holding back from you because you see certain restrictions in in the scriptures, but it's for our own good. And so maybe there's somebody who's listening, somebody maybe listening online or in the building tonight. And you're frustrated with the Lord. Why? Because you feel like. He's holding back from you. No, God is protecting you. He wants the best for you. (laughs) I'm not talking to you. (laughs) I don't know. I guess Siri's trying to butt in the conversation. But But verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, or, or, or that it was delightful to look at, And a tree desirable to make one wise, 
she took of its fruit and ate. And then it says that she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. And so because Satan was so crafty and he was so convincing to Eve as he is trying to tempt her, notice that uh, she took a second look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, And so what we see here are some elements of temptation as described in 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 15 and 16. So in 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16, let's look at these elements of temptation. Uh, the scripture says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, It's not of the father, but is of the world. And so let's look at the connections here as it relates to these set of scriptures and also what we saw in Genesis chapter three, verse six. Well, first of all, we saw that the the woman or Eve saw that the tree was good for food. And so this is an example of the lust of the flesh because she saw that the fruit was appealing to her physical or her bodily appetites. But then also we saw that the fruit from this tree was pleasant to her eyes. And so this will be an example here of the lust of the eyes appealing to her emotions. Oh, it looks so good. And then it says she saw it as a tree to make one wise. And this speaks to the pride of life. And so this is appealing to the intellect or the mind. And so these are the same ways, by the way, that we're tempted today. But overall, we see that Eve was deceived. She was deceived when she ate from that, uh, from that tree that was forbidden. But Adam, on the other hand, he was fully aware and he was just flat out disobedient. Now, now we don't know why he didn't speak up. If he were there the whole time or exactly why he ate the forbidden fruit. And so we have these theories. But I really don't want to get into theories. So we, we don't really know why. But all we know is that Eve was deceived and Adam was just flat out disobedient. And, and in the scriptures, uh, the responsibility for sin, by the way, in the world and, and death because of sin, that responsibility of it falls upon Adam, the man. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. But notice, through one man. So how have we all sinned through this one man? Well, first of all, we all sinned potentially in Adam while we were in his loins, so to speak. In other words, we all had the potential to do the same thing as Adam. Uh, So please do not get to heaven with your fist balled up trying to find Adam because you would have done the same thing. But not only that, we've also sinned, fancy word, seminally. That means in seed form in Adam. In other words, because we were in him, so to speak, because the man has a seed, um, uh, we participated in sin with him. For example, much like how Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek through Adam. 
And the scriptures talked about that. So we also sinned similarly or in seed form while we were in Adam, but also Adam. He, he was the federal head or the representative of the human race. And, and so the decision he made affected all humans. And so this is much like a head coach, for example. So if a head coach of a football team forfeits a game, that since that head coach is a representative of that team, then all of the team, those players suffer. They all forfeit the game. And so in this way, as being the federal head or the, the, the representative of the human race, in that way, Adam is actually a type of Christ. For example, in Romans 5, verse 18, it says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation or, by the way, a death sentence. Even so, through one man, speaking of Jesus here, capital M, righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. And so you see the first Adam, he messed it all up, resulted in judgment, resulted in death sentence, resulted in separation from God. But, but then we also see this last Adam, Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God. And you see that he did one righteous act as well as the representative. And it had a different result, which was justification of life. But we have to receive that through faith in him. In in Genesis 3, verse 7, getting back to the first book of the Bible, it says, Then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were open, so their awareness increased. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They, they made loincloths. And so man, mankind, Adam and Eve, they fell from innocence. And they fell from fellowship with God. And one effect of the fall of man is shame. They, they were ashamed and rightfully so because they had sinned. They disobeyed God. And so you see that as a result, they tried to cover themselves. They they tried to do their own thing to cover their shame. They tried to do their own thing to fix, if you will, their spiritual situation. And even today, there's some people still trying to do their own thing to try to fix their spiritual situation. They're trying to cover up their sins or the mistakes in their lives with good works, hoping that their good works will outweigh the bad and they will be able to enter into heaven or paradise or whatever some of these different religions call it or cults call it and i heard some people say you know what i'm not you know i I, jesus is good for you the bible is good for you and all that but but you know i just try to live by the golden rule just whatever you want men to do to you do also to them and so that's them just trying to do good work to, to earn their way into heaven or to earn their way into God's good graces. I, I just try to be a good person. That's, that's all people should focus on, some people would say. And so what are they doing? They're, they're putting together their own fig leaves, trying to fix their own spiritual situation. But instead, and even Jesus preached this, and you can take a look at the record in Mark chapter 1, for example. But even Jesus preached repentance said, repent, change one's mind, turn from sin, trust in the Lord for salvation. Romans 10, 9, 
If you haven't made that decision to receive Christ, it says, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. You will be saved. That is a guarantee. But people want to do their own thing, do their own works. They want to buy so many crystals and light so many candles and whatever they want to do to try to earn their way into paradise and some who've even bought into the lie that they can become a God. They're doing all these things so they can reach Godhood. They bought into the lie. Verses 8 and 9, Genesis 3. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So this would be like the afternoon breeze or at the time of the evening breeze. So sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, the garden of Eden. And Adam and his wife Eve, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? And here the word you is singular. Speaking to Adam, where are you? Now what we see here is uh, most likely Jesus before his incarnation, he's walking in the garden of Eden. I believe this is be an example of a, some people say a theophany or Christophany, but I believe this is pre-incarnate Christ because uh, John chapter 118 says that no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, the unique son, Greek word monogenes, the, he, he was always the son of God. Which means, by the way, if you're new or visiting, I shared this before that, but the fact that Jesus calls himself the son of God, that means he has the same nature as God, the same essence of God. So, so whatever, and I'll use a human term, whatever DNA God the father has, Jesus has that. That's what it means. But when Jesus says he's the son of God, that's why the Jews wanted to stone him. They understood that he was claiming to be equal with God. And so he says the only begotten, the only unique son who was in the bosom of the father or at the side of the father, he has declared or revealed him. So if you want to see what God the father is like, you look at Jesus. You could also reference 1 Timothy 6, 16 about people not being able to, you know, to, to see God, but one day, praise God, we will be able to see our, our father face to face. It tells us, I believe, in Revelation chapter 22. But, but as we really think about this question in verse 9 of Genesis 3, this question, where are you? Uh, some may think that it's his father. He's, he, just, he just has a belt running after them, running after Adam, has a spatula. Or a chancla, whatever it may be. And so we read the question, where are you? No, this is the question of a loving God. And some would imagine that, that it would probably sound like the voice of a heartbroken father. Speaking to Adam, where, where are you? Now, now get this. God did not ask the question because he didn't know where Adam was. He didn't ask the question because he didn't didn't know what Adam had done. Because remember, God is omniscient. He knows all things. No, no, he's calling out to Adam. You see, this was an opportunity for Adam to confess and repent. This was an opportunity for Adam to come clean. 
And even today, God is calling out to mankind. But where are you? See, mankind have been separated from God because of sin. Our sins, our iniquities have separated us from God, Isaiah chapter 59. And this shows us that, and we even see this in the New Testament, that God will look for his lost sheep. He will leave the 99. He'll, he'll go after that one that is lost. Where are you? See, just like he went after Adam. And here's the thing, because you see this, you, you hear this a lot. I found God. God doesn't need to be found. He was, he's not the lost one. Mankind is lost. Mankind without Jesus is lost. And so God doesn't need to be found. We need to be found. We, we are the sheep that have gone astray. And I'm talking spiritually here in a spiritual sense that, that that fellowship with God has been broken between Adam and Eve and, and God. That, and, them, and Adam being the representative of the human race, the fellowship that between man and God in general has been broken. That's why we need a savior. But another thing you see here is that God is the initiator of salvation. Because in reality, man wasn't really looking for God, but God came searching after him. In fact, in Romans 5, 8, I just love Romans tonight. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, still doing our thing, not even thinking about God, practicing sin, God Christ. And he is God in the flesh, by the way, but Christ died for us. God is the initiator of salvation. God is the initiator. He's the one who went looking for Adam. Where are you? There's many today who are still trying to hide from God. They're still trying to hide from God. They're still practicing their sins. Why? They don't want their deeds to be exposed. The scriptures tell us why, and this is Jesus speaking. He says in John 3, 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So there's many people, just like Adam, are hiding, hiding right now behind different types of trees, just like Adam was hiding amongst the trees. You see, some would hide behind a tree that's entitled, I was born this way. I'm good. That's the tree I'm going to hide behind. Or, or some would probably hide behind the tree of, but, but God, my career. Some people would even hide behind the tree of, but uh, this relationship. Or maybe hide behind the tree of, but I, I'm a good person. And so there's different people who are hiding behind various trees trying to hide from God. But the truth is, is that God wants fellowship with mankind. He wants fellowship with humans. We're the only creatures that he created that are made in his image. And if you would consider yourself a non-believer at this point, a person who's never put their trust in Jesus for salvation, I would encourage you to start with the relationship with him. Repent. 
put your trust in Jesus, the one who died for all of our sins. He took the wrath of the Father upon himself so that we will not have to face the wrath of the Father and be separated from him for eternity. He'll start with the relationship with God. God's one, he wants fellowship with mankind. You can, you can see this. Came walking in the garden. Looks like a regular pattern. Something he was used to doing, fellowshipping with Adam and Eve. He longs to fellowship with us. Not just, obviously, for the non-believer, but even for the believer. We, we may lose sight of that. That God wants to fellowship with us. You may be a believer, put your faith in Christ, everything, but, but how's your fellowship with the Lord lately? How's your fellowship with him lately? Are you as close to God today as you were when, when you first received Jesus into your life? Or is that fellowship, that walk with him, not as close You see, there is even people, literal people that I was once close to in my life that I'm not that close to anymore. But that's going to be expected with human relationship. But that should never happen in our relationship with the Lord as believers. And so for the believer, I ask, where are you? Where are you in your walk with the Lord? Where are you in your fellowship with him? Is it as strong as it used to be? Because uh, maybe you used to be more consistent with spending time uh, in the word, just spending that time with the Lord, just meditating upon the word, just spending that time in prayer. Maybe you used to be more consistent with that, turning off the TV and just put, pushing away from, from those distractions of life and just spending time with him. Maybe you were more consistent that way. And the Lord, of course, is longing for that fellowship that, that he used to have with you that used to be really close. But now the question comes up, where are you? Where are you in your walk? What, what is keeping you away from fellowshipping with the Lord like you used to? Is your love waxing cold? People, distractions, what what kind of distractions are in the way? What kind of things are in the way? What's keeping you from fellowshipping more with him? And I just want to say this, that there is nothing that's more important in this life than our relationship and fellowship with the Lord. See, this is something that God wants as the worship team takes the stage. So I would encourage you to make a point to not allow anything or anyone to come between you and the Lord. You see, in the study, we saw that 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 the devil came between Eve and God. We saw that, of course, Adam allowed Eve to come between him and the Lord. And so it doesn't matter if it's your husband or your wife. Do not allow anyone to come between you and the Lord. And I shared it in one of the studies last time, I believe it was last week, talking about marriage. That, you're, that you should pray about, if, if it's your desire to get married, you should pray about that the Lord bringing somebody in your life who loves him more than they love you. And, and not to allow that future husband or wife or, or even the children that you may have or children you will have get in the way of your walk with the Lord. Don't allow them to get in the way of your closeness, your fellowship, that time that you spend with the Lord. 
but, but I have to make money. Do not allow money to get in the way of your fellowship with the Lord. Uh, but this task seems so important. I have to build this. I have to build that. I have to fix this thing, this project in my house. I have to get it done so I don't have time to spend in the word. Once again, do not allow anything or anyone to get in the way of your fellowship with the Lord. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your desire to want to be in a relationship with us and to want a fellowship with us. Lord, I ask that you would forgive us. Forgive me, Lord, of those times where um, I've, al- I've allowed other people or distractions to come in the way between me and you in our fellowship time. And I pray that you stir our hearts, Lord, to want to spend even more time with you, even on this side of eternity. And I just thank you, Lord, that you just love the human race so much that you would go after the one that you would want to know where we are spiritually and that you would even do something about it in sending your only begotten son so father I pray for anybody who does not have a personal relationship with you That, Father, you would chip away at that hardness of heart. That you would draw them to Jesus. And I pray for the believer to grow and become more like Christ. So, Father, may you equip us and use us according to your will this week. May you just give us that hunger and thirst to just fellowship with you more. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, but not your presence, that you give us traveling grace. We pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.